you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. The second example of faith in Hebrews 11 is Enoch in verse 5. We read this. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. By faith, Enoch pleased God. And so he is one among only two people in history who never died. Why didn't he die? My translation says simply, God took him. I'd love to have a little more detail on that. King James Version says he was translated. We translate something, we take it from one language to another. Well, Enoch was translated from one place to another. He went from earth to heaven. We learn about the history of Enoch in the Old Testament in the space of only four verses, and I'd like you to turn back there. It's in Genesis chapter 5. Back in Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived 65 years. That's retirement age today. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now that tells us two important things about Enoch. Verse 22 says, Enoch walked with God. And verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God. Enoch was a man who walked with God. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translates this, this phrase, Enoch walked with God, as Enoch pleased God. And I like that differentiation because it tells me that those two are interchangeable. Because the thing that pleases God is when we walk with God. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that only happens by faith. And so Enoch is an example to us of walking with God by faith. Now, what are some of the steps in a walk with God? I sat down this week and jotted some of them down. This is not a comprehensive list. But I think the first step in a walk with God is harmony. We have to come together into in a in harmonious. How do you say that? Into a harmonious relationship with God to begin with. In fact, I think there's a progression in the examples in Hebrews 11 because uh, Abel shows us the initial step of faith, which is salvation, and then Enoch shows us living by faith which is walking with God. So you can't just decide one day, I think I'll walk with God now. You first have to come to God by God's way, by God's sacrifice, by the cross. You see, you have to come like Abel before you can walk like Enoch. And we have to assume that before Enoch walked with God, he walked apart from God. In fact, that's indicated in Genesis chapter 5. If you look at verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. You see, for the first 65 years, Enoch walked like everyone else walks. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us that we originally walked according to the course of this world. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 tells us that we walk in the futility of our mind, darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant, hard-hearted, callous, given over to sensuality, practicing every kind of impurity with greediness. That's the natural walk. And so for Enoch to walk with God, he first had to be reconciled with God because God does not walk on a path of sin. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. If we say we're walking with God and our path is a path of disobedience and sin, then John says we're lying because God doesn't walk on that path. I like Amos 3, 3. It says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. You ever walk with somebody you didn't agree with? Not for very long. And I guarantee you that God did not agree with Enoch. God didn't come to Enoch and say, let's walk like you've been walking for the first 65 years. No. Enoch agreed with God. Enoch came by faith and was reconciled to God, so there was harmony. He came the way of Abel. Otherwise, he would have walked the way of Cain. And we're told Cain's walk in Genesis 4.16. It says Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And so the first step in a walk with God is harmony. I have to be reconciled to God. I have to come by means of the cross. And then the second step in a walk with God is intimacy. When someone asks you to take a walk, they usually mean that they want to talk. If somebody says you want to run, they just want to buffer from the car lane. But when they say you want to walk, you're going to take a slow, steady communion with that person. And that's what Enoch had with God. Enoch walked with God 300 years. You say, well, I've walked with God for seven months. That's good. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Most of us can't get through the week without straying away from him. And here's Enoch, an example of walking with God by faith for 300 years. I love the way 1 Corinthians 1.9 describes our salvation. It says you were called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is not simply getting your name on a list somewhere in heaven that God dusts off someday and says, oh, Dan Green, he's on the list. No, salvation is coming into a relationship of fellowship, of intimacy with God. And that's an exciting thing. Galatians 5.16 says we are to walk in the Spirit. That's the same thing because the Spirit is God. We are to walk with God in continual fellowship with Him. And how do you walk in the Spirit? It's real simple. Communion communion, communion. The first step in a walk with God is harmony. The second step is intimacy, that fellowship every day. The third step is honesty. You won't maintain intimacy with anyone if you don't have honesty. In fact, look at a passage with me. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, if we walk, there's our term, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, walking in the light doesn't mean perfection. And that's clear when we look at the next verse, verse 8, because it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Walking in the light doesn't mean that I walk in perfection. Because what does light do? Light reveals. 
So walking in the light means I walk in honesty. And when I sin, I don't run to the darkness with my sin. Instead, I bring it to the light and I let it be revealed in the light. And that's why the very next verse says, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're going to have a walk with God, we maintain our intimacy by honesty. And that is when we sin, we bring it into light. We confess it and receive the forgiveness that He offers. And then a fourth step in our walk with God is yieldedness. You see, though, the idea of walking with God sounds like we're sort of walking side by side, which we are. But you know, sometimes you get to a point where you have to go through a narrow spot and somebody has to lead, or sometimes you get to a fork in the road and somebody has to lead. And guess what? I'm not leading in this relationship. When you come to a fork in the road and God goes right, I've got to go right. Because He is not following me. I am following Him. He is Lord. And so that requires yieldedness. And that's why every morning before my feet hit the ground, I say prayer. And that prayer is essentially, good morning, Lord, this is your day. I surrender myself to you this day because I know if my feet hit the floor, I'm going to be off doing my thing very quickly before I yield this day to God. You see, life is just a matter of decisions. It's just all kinds of decisions. And the issue is that we make those decisions and we yield those decisions to God. See, it would do you good to think in terms of not where am I going, but where are we going? Because you are walking with Him. See, at any point in your life, someone ought to be able to stop you and say, what are you doing here? And you ought to be able to say, well, I was just walking with God and this is where we ended up. Fifth step in a walk with God is conformity. I noticed the other day I was talking on the phone with, with my daughter and, and uh, Lindsay and she sounds like Brianna on the phone. And, and the reason why she sounds like Brianna is because they hang out together. They walk together a lot. You see, what happens with, when you walk with somebody is you become more like that person. What happens when we walk with God? We become like Him. I, I just jotted down uh, some verses that talk about walking in the Spirit or walking with God. And it's interesting how it's described. Third uh, John 4 calls it a truth walk. Romans 13, 13, an honest walk. Ephesians 2.10, a good works walk. Ephesians 4.1, a worthy walk. Ephesians 5.3, a love walk. Ephesians 5.8, a light walk. Ephesians 5.15, a wise walk. You see, when we walk with God, all of these things, we, we, we become conformed to Him. We start to become more like Him. Every believer possesses the Spirit of God, but Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And in that same passage, it tells us what happens if we walk in the Spirit. It says in verse 16, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then it says in verse 22, if you walk in the Spirit, you will see the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You walk with God, you become more like Him. Enoch walked with God 300 years. Can you imagine what kind of guy he was? I mean, it wasn't a big step for him to go to heaven. He had been walking with God so long that he was already suited for heaven. And then the sixth and final step of the walk with God is the fundamental one given to us in Hebrews 11, and that is faith. Enoch walked for 300 years with God who he could not see and he could not touch. Now, how did he do that? By faith. The key ingredient to a walk with God is always faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Colossians 2, 6 says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. How do you walk in Him? By faith. You say, well, Dan, back in Enoch's day, it was probably a whole lot easier to walk with God. I mean, it's tough in our day. Enoch probably had it easy walking with God. Well, when did Enoch live? Enoch lived in a time right before the flood. In fact, if you look at the genealogies, Enoch is Noah's great-grandpa. So if anything, his day was worse than our day. He lived in a day when Genesis 6-5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he made man. He lived in a day that was so evil that God eventually just wiped out everybody but Noah and his family. And you know what? In that tough day in which he walked with God, he was also a preacher. And I, and I emphasize that because many people today say, I walk with God, but it's a personal thing. I, I walk with God, but it's kind of a private issue. Well, Enoch walked with God and he let everybody know about it. He impacted other people. In fact, we've got one of his sermons. It's, it's not on CD, but we have the manuscript. It's in Jude 14. It says, And about these also Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, here's his sermon, Behold, the Lord is coming with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Pretty tough message. You see, Enoch was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. He walked with God and he preached to his generation. In fact, now that you're in the back of the Bible, turn to the front of the Bible again, Genesis chapter 5, because I noticed something here that I had really never noticed before, which isn't surprising. This happens to me all the time when I'm studying the Bible. But Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21 says, And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God in conjunction with something that happened in his life, and that was he became a father. And I thought to myself, I think i got a Father's Day message here. Because I know a lot of fathers who get serious about their walk with God when they realize that somebody's walking with them. But as I look closer here, I don't think that it was Enoch becoming a father that initiated his relationship with God. I think his relationship with God initiated how he named his son. Because Jude 14 tells us he was a prophet. And his prophecy is really caught up in, in the name of his son. What did he name his son? Methuselah. Now, I'm no Hebrew expert, but those who are tell me that meth or moose means death. And that when you translate Methuselah's name, it means when he dies, it will come. When he dies, it will come. What will come? Well, what was he preaching about? The judgment is coming. What judgment was coming in his day? The flood. And if you will look at this passage and do your math, you will figure out that Methuselah died in the very year that the flood came. Now, that's not real unusual. A lot of people died that year. But I believe that his son was a walking prophecy and that Methuselah died earlier in the year before the flood came. And he was the final cry from God. 
judgment is coming. Final cry to people to repent. And you know, it really is an expression of the mercy of God because this guy whose name meant when he dies, the judgment will come, lived longer than anybody else who ever lived on the face of the earth. As if God was saying, when he dies, the judgment's coming, and he just kept living and living and living, showing us the mercy of God. And then the end of Enoch is described in Genesis 5, 24. It says, And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. I like the way it's, it's put in, in Hebrews 11, 5, where it says, He was not found, which tells me somebody was looking for him. You seen Enoch lately? Last time I saw him, he was over there walking with God. He was not found. It, it, the idea is not, not that he was not. It's that he was not found. God knew exactly where he was. But he wasn't lost. He was just lost to those on the earth looking for him. He and God went for a walk one day and they never came back. And that's a picture to us of a promise in the future. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what we call the rapture when those who are alive at the coming of the Lord will be caught up together with Him in the clouds. You say, well, why did God take Him so young? He was 365 years old. His dad, Jared, was 962 years old. His son, Methuselah, was 969 years old. But he was just a youngster. You say, well, why did God take Him so young? And the answer is, He pleased God. You say, well, Dan, I would like to know that someday I'm going to be taken up into the presence of the Lord. Well, you have to please God. And how do you please God? By faith. In fact, if you come back now to Hebrews chapter 11, after talking about Enoch pleasing God, we have a verse all about that in verse 6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. How do I please God? Well, Abel pleased God because by faith he came to God by God's required sacrifice. Enoch pleased God because by faith he walked with God. They pleased God by faith. And no one can please God any other way. In fact, I love the terms he uses here. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For those who come to God must believe. Impossible and must are strong words. The only thing that pleases God is faith. Religion doesn't please God. In fact, religion nauseates God for the most part. We read God's opinion of it in, in Matthew 15, 9. It says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Some of the most religious people who have ever lived on the face of the earth looked at Jesus Christ and said, crucify him. Religion does not please God. Nationality doesn't please God. The Jews thought, well, we're the seed of Abraham and we've been circumcised the eighth day and we have been entrusted with the law. We must please God. God was not pleased. Good deeds don't please God. Romans 3.20 says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Titus 3.15 says, or Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Good deeds as a way to God don't please God. They just offend the grace of God. There's only one thing that pleases God, and that one thing is faith. Paul put it this way in 
Romans 8, 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, whatever you do in your fleshly strength, apart from faith, although it may please you and it may please others, it won't please God. There's only one thing that pleases God. Please understand this. There's only one thing that pleases God, and that's faith. And what is faith? Remember what we were told in verse 1? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There are two parts to faith. It is the substance of things hoped for and things not seen. It makes them real in the presence, and it is the conviction that banks my life on those things. And I remind you of that because notice what he tells us as we go on here in verse 6. He touches on both of these areas. First of all, substance. What is it that we must believe? First is substance, and that is, notice verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's things not seen. Have you ever seen God? No. Then how do you walk with him? By faith. The first thing we have to believe in a relationship with God is that he is. By, way, by the way, this is the first area Satan attacks especially when you're going through hard times or persecution like this church was going through, Satan comes and he whispers in your ear, if there really was a God, this wouldn't be happening to you. Have you heard that one? That's why those who come to God must believe that He is. But this phrase actually carries more meaning than just believing in the existence of God because he says we are to believe that He is which tells me it's believing that the God who has revealed himself in his works and in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ is. It's believing that he is who he says he is, not who you think he is. And that's very important because there are many people today who say, I believe in God, but my God is too kind to ever send anyone to hell. Let me tell you something. To believe in a God as you conceive him to be is idolatry. What you're doing is creating a God out of your own imagination. What you're doing is making a God in your image. And that is idolatry. You see, you must believe in the God who is not only the God of love, but the God of judgment, because that is how He has revealed Himself. He is not only a God of mercy and kindness, He is also a God of holiness and wrath, because that is how He has revealed Himself. We must believe that He is who He says He is. And I think this is very important because when we come under persecution or severe trials, it's easy to invent a friendlier God who will treat us more nicely. It's not so easy to bow before the God of the Bible who is sovereign over every trial, every difficulty, every accident. When God permits your ten children to be killed in a windstorm and strips you of all your wealth and all your health, it's not easy to bow down beside Job and say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But you see, even at times like that, I have to believe that He is People often wonder, well, how do you hang on to faith in God at such difficult times? And my question is always, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? 
Remember in John chapter 6 when, when Jesus was teaching some very difficult doctrines and it says many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. What did Jesus do? Soften his teaching? No. He came to the twelve and he said, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You may not like trials. You may not even like the teaching. I don't like the teaching when God says, I want you to stay under that trial. I would prefer the teaching that said, I'm going to get you out of there and, and bless you abundantly with prosperity. I love that teaching. You may not like the trials. and You may not like the teaching. But where else are you going to go? The last time I checked, the world's solution was still eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And I don't know about you, but that's not a very satisfying solution. The first thing we have to do is believe that God is the unseen. And then there's a second aspect, and that is believing the things hoped for. And that's the second part of verse 6, because he says, we must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And I think this parallels Satan's secondary strategy. Because in times of difficulty, if Satan cannot get you to doubt God's existence, he will try to get you to doubt God's goodness or God's faithfulness. He will come to you and say, why is God letting you go through all this if he really loves you? Have you heard that one? We must believe that God is a rewarder. You see, it's not enough to believe that God is. A lot of people are willing to go that far. At least they profess to. They say, I believe in God. Albert Einstein said, certainly there is a God. Any man who doesn't believe in a cosmic force is a fool. But we could never know Him. Well, that's not faith. You see, faith believes we can know Him. And faith believes that He is ready and willing and able to reward me if I seek Him. Faith believes that God will do what He has promised in the Gospel. Faith believes that when I come to Him, He will respond. It's believing God when He says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. It's believing God when He says, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. It's believing God in the person of Jesus when he said, He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. It's believing God in the person of Jesus when he says, The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So faith must believe that God is a rewarder, but faith must also understand that those rewards are eternal. They are not necessarily in this lifetime. They are things hoped for. Last week we saw that Abel was a man of faith and Cain was not. Abel was blessed, Cain was cursed. But when you compare them from the standpoint of this lifetime, Abel certainly didn't live a long and happy life. And yet Cain, in contrast, lived many years and had many earthly successes. In fact, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17 even says he built a city. He was the founder of a city. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Compare Abel and Enoch, the first two examples of faith in Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11. Both believed God, but Abel died a violent death. Enoch never died. That doesn't seem fair, does it? 
Well, that's because the rewards are not temporal. They are eternal. So faith believes that God is, and faith believes that God is a rewarder. But faith doesn't stop there. Because faith is not just the substance that makes those things real. Faith is the conviction. And we see that in verse 6, because who is it that gets the rewards? Look at the end of the verse. It's those who seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Proverbs 8, 17 says, And those who diligently seek me will find me. And how do we diligently seek him? By faith. Because it's impossible to please him any other way. I must believe that God is, I must believe that he'll reward me, and I must diligently seek him. You see, that's the conviction. That's banking my life on the promises of God. I must come to him. And how do I come to him? That's the whole book of Hebrews. You can't come to him through the Old Testament religious system. You can't come through the temple. You can't come through the sacrifices. You can only come through the one high priest and the one sacrifice that has been given for you, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So how do I please God? By faith, I believe that he is. By faith, I believe that he is a rewarder. By faith, I diligently seek him and find him through Jesus Christ. And then backing up to verse 5, by faith, I walk with him like Enoch. Let me close by just giving you one more thought. You know, if we were writing Enoch's biography, we would entitle it The Man Who Flew With God. Wouldn't we? Because that's why I want that phrase to be expanded. I want to know, how did he get there? You know, was it like Elijah with the flaming chariot? Or, or how did he get there? Because, see, we love the sensational. The man who flew with God. God wrote his biography in Genesis chapter 5, and you know what God entitled it? The man who walked with God. You know, you know what that tells me? God is more interested in the routine than he is in the spectacular. The spectacular doesn't impress God. You see, he wants your biography to read, Darren walked with God. Heather walked with God. A steady, daily, step-by-step-by-step walk of faith. Often very routine. See, I don't know where that will take you. It may lead you to die young like Abel. It may lead you to never die like Enoch. It may lead you, like Noah, that we'll see next year, you may end up building a boat for 100 years. I don't know where it's going to lead you. But God is calling you and God is calling me to let him into our daily routine, to walk with him by faith. And I do know this, nothing pleases him more. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. I realize we're a little late today, but I want us to sing a praise song together that really will close our time in prayer. I'm going to ask James Green to come up here. Christina, you come with him. Bring the baby. James and Christina Green, I'm going to have them head out to the back. You guys can stay in the back and sing if you like, but then when we close the service, I want you to, to greet the Greens. Uh, they're green without an E on the end. I've got an E on the end, so that's the difference. Uh, no relationship.
We're going to make this our closing prayer. I'm not going to come back. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, make this our prayer to the Lord, and really mean what we're saying to Him this morning.